This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and welcome Product Masters. I'm glad you're joining us on this journey to product mastery. Today, we're revisiting one of the best tools for product managers. I think it's one of the best tools. It's called Jobs to be Done. Our guest has applying Jobs to be Done to help SaaS companies sell better, retain more, and I love this part, avoid six-figure go-to-market mistakes because those mistakes can be very costly when we create products that customers don't actually care about. So his name is, and I'm going to try so hard on this, Agalas Mozikatis. Agalas, how did I do? Um, Help help me out. It was okay. Let's say it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) You can improve. (laughs) There is room for I'm sure I can improve. Can you pronounce it for us? It's Mozakitis. Okay, so the Agalas part is okay. And and Mozakitis. Okay. Exactly. And Mo Zakitis. Uh, okay, well, we'll just go with Agulus. And Agulus's company is called Growth Sandwich. And just to you know, help us out here with kind of framing this, jobs to be done, we're going to be talking about this in the SaaS uh, environment, but certainly this is a tool that reaches across sectors, across industries to help us understand more of what customers are wanting to accomplish, what their needs are, and how we can better meet those needs. And before we talk to Agnes, just so we know, everyone, if you want to go find the written notes of what we're talking about, including a one-page action guide, which will contain key takeaways for you to immediately put into action from this discussion, you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 364. Agnes, thank you for helping me pronounce your name not quite so badly, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for for having me. It's an honor, Chad. And let's uh, geek out about this. Will be great. I'm looking forward to it. So it is a topic that we've covered a few times on the podcast, and there are different perspectives about actually implementing jobs to be done. To get us on the same page, it would be helpful to hear you describe your approach to this, kind of what it means to you. Absolutely. So Jobs to be Done is is a theory of consumer action. Everyone that uh, is following your podcast already knows that. Jobs to be done explains why we take consumer decisions. Jobs to be done also provides us with tools to to dissect this consumer action and deeply understand it so that we can do stuff on our product, on our marketing, on the language that we're using, on our whole go-to-market. My approach to that is very actionable. So I consider myself, and let me maybe brag a little bit about that, but I, I consider myself one of the very actionable ambassadors of jobs to be done. I'm not dogmatic about specifically jobs to be done or other frameworks of customer research, but what I'm definitely stuck to is putting it to action. There is a lot of theory around jobs to be done, uh, a lot of uh, academic analysis. What I care about is taking the taking this theory and putting it into action. And I can provide a couple of uh, examples for us to discuss today. That would be great. You know, my, my first interaction, I suppose, with Jobs to be Done was Clay Curtinson's uh, milkshake video. And probably any practitioner of Jobs to be Done is familiar with this. But ba- basically, they were in the uh, drive through lane waiting for people to get through the drive through lane. It turned out it was McDonald's. That uh, was in the original video. And they asked people who bought a milkshake, basically, what job did you hire that milkshake to do? 
um, trying to figure out you know, why did they make that purchasing decision? And what was unique in this case was that they were making that purchasing decision in the morning before today. And so they were investigating this. But it's fun to find out about that. If listeners, you want to go just YouTube search milkshake jobs be done, you'll come across it. I would love to hear, hear an example or two from you of how you have put this into use. And that will help us get on the same page too. Absolutely. About Clayton Christensen, by the way, just uh, just a small impression about the whole jobs to be done scene. It seems that Clayton Christensen, who was the most academic person of all, gave a very actionable example of how to use jobs to be done. And then we went towards a, a very deep and academic path about jobs to be done. And now I think it's time for us to follow Clayton Christensen's path and go back to action again. So there is a lot of theory and lots of schools of thought. But I would love to see more action about jobs to be done. Let me give you an example. So I used to work with, with a video conferencing. This video conferencing solution, which I won't name, is one of the one of the big competitors of the of, of the most popular video conferencing solution. The one that has two O's at its name. And everybody knows it. So this solution that I was working with and for had uh, one very clear value proposition. It was the simplest one. It was browser-based. Super simple. There was uh, nothing to be downloaded. You would just click on a link and jump on a call. So during the the pandemic, there was uh, there were a couple of uh, issues. The first issue was uh, the actual issue was uh, churn. They had explosive churn. The good thing though was that they also had explosive growth. So they they hired me disregarding the explosive growth. They hired me to fix the explosive churn. So I did, I did my research. I did an analysis that is uh, very jobs-to-be-done driven. It's called the value gap analysis. So here, here's what it includes. I, I started by interviewing the absolutely best users of the solution, the power users. So we had to define our users. And then I interviewed, I did jobs-to-be-done interviews to these users to deeply understand what was the job that they were doing with the solution and what was the outcome that they were expecting with the solution? Then I did exactly the same thing. I almost used the same questions, but opposite, to churned users, to freshly churned users, freshly failed users. And I asked pretty much the same stuff, but on the other way. So instead of asking, what is the outcome that you expect from the solution? I asked, what was the outcome that you expected, but didn't manage to have? Or what was the job that you wanted to do? Not in, not in this wording, because we cannot use the term job to be done in a, in a job to be done interview. It's an awkward phrase to use, but, in, but you get the point. Mm-hmm. And then I did a third segment, fresh users that just came in. So freshly acquired users. I asked them what is it that they expect to achieve with a solution? What is the outcome that they expect to have? What is the job to be done? them so I did I did interview those three different segments and then I clustered the feedback and I compared it and what was highlighted was first what was the ideal user for this solution what was the ideal job to be done actually first what was the ideal job to be done and then what were the ideal users that had that job to be done what is the wrong job to be done. So therefore, we have to discourage this job to be done and the people that are having this job to be done. And based on that uh, analysis, this churn problem magically 
became a positioning problem because we realized that during the pandemic, a lot of people were just passing by to use a simple solution because they had to replace, to switch from physical meetings to video meetings. They weren't that sophisticated about video meetings, so they were looking for an easy solution. So here, here was the problem. They either needed more features and they were leaving, or they were getting sophisticated and then they were going to the feature full solution. So using the simple solution wasn't an actual job to be done. It was just a temporary need for them. They were passing by. They weren't the good. They weren't good users for the solution. And we had to make our positioning a little bit more specific so that we discourage use cases that are not the right ones. So this is this is an example of um, of an analysis that was very job to be done driven. Another thing that we did with this solution because. And a parenthesis here, jobs to be done is very connected with qualitative research, but you can do a lot of quantitative research that is jobs to be done driven. Jobs to be done is a mindset. You can do everything you want with it. You can build any sort of analysis you want with jobs to be done. So we built the first in, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it anywhere else. So I call it the first, the first jobs to be done driven cancellation survey. And here's what we did until then. Their cancellation survey, among other things, was asking what is the solution that you are switching from now on. And it was naming different solutions. What we did, though, was a little bit different. I checked this data because I wanted to see where our churn users are going. And I, and I could see this repetition. I could see, okay, that 30% of the people go to this solution. And then 40% go to that solution. But that told me nothing. That didn't really tell me what was the perception of this of each of these solutions to the minds of my, of our users. Would they go to this solution because it was more secure? Would they go to another solution because it was more accepted by senior members and clients? Would they go to another solution because it was more stable? I didn't know what was the reason. So we we scrapped the whole naming of competitors. And we described competitors. We said, I'm switching to a more secure solution, a more stable solution, a solution that has more features for educators, a solution that has more features for that, a solution that is better for a client cause. So after that, this data just started, uh, they had life because they told us something. They gave us an insight. So this, this, the way that we structured that, actually explaining what are they switching for and explaining, kind of explaining the job to be done behind this switch was um, another example of uh, putting jobs to be done into action to actually improve a cancellation survey. I, I think I gave you quite a few examples. <laughs> this is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations, helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience, or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes, and it will change how you think about the work you do, and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition, And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, 
she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com love and get the recommendations. That, that, that's quite good, right? Walking through, in some sense, we, we might think of this, well, first, I want to back up to, you characterize jobs to be done as a mindset. And I like that perspective, right? There, there's other, there's listeners here that are yelling at me now, probably say, no, no, it's an algorithm. It's a, there are different ways to think about this, but you did embody in that exact example, what practitioners do with jobs to be done, right? Which is trying to uncover what is the goal that, that people are trying to accomplish? What is the objective they're trying to move toward? What was the task that they want to get done, right? And in doing those interviews, as you described it, I thought we could frame that as like a win-loss kind of analysis, right? It's like, let's find out why customers chose us, right? The, the, those power users. Let, let's find out why customers left us, the churn users. And then so maybe some new insights from customers that are just brand new, just coming to us, right? Kind of what's their perceptions? And we don't know yet if they're going to be churn customers or not. And, and just learning about their perspectives. And I was trying to relate to, you know, place myself in the shoes of the those potential Zoom users. And I'm in a different segment, apparently, than that, because I've been through all the possible tools one can use for web conferencing sort of things, including all the big names and starting, you know, 20 years ago as they kind of grew up. And Zoom is by far my favorite. And when it first showed up, I think I would probably adopted it and was in beta, actually. By far, it's my favorite. And so on any dimension, I'm just happy with it, right? <laughs> so, and glad to pay for the service. I suspect during the pandemic, there were a lot of people, and I helped some of these people because they were friends saying, hey, can you help me figure out how to get on a Zoom and you know do the free meeting sort of thing? They just needed something for a moment in time. Or like you said, maybe they were teachers and there's like another solution that frankly isn't as good, but it's the accepted teacher solution. Right, And so that's why they moved out, because it's the accepted solution for them, that sort of thing. You probably came up with a lot of, lot of specific reasons why people left Zoom. And a lot of people actually dislike Zoom and other solutions. This is very important to figure it out as well, why people like mm-hmm. us, but also why people dislike us. There is undoubtedly Zoom fatigue. That's a phenomenon which sure. I could figure through research. There are a lot of people that are that are have that you know are tired, not just by Zoom, but by other solutions that have a lot of features, and they want they want simpler solutions that do a few things, but way very very well, very mm-hmm. very well. Right. There is a trend yeah. on that. I've seen that. I and if we want to speak uh, trends, I think that's where the software business is going. Actually, at the moment, we are going towards the Canva world. The world where solutions are, are doing less, but very well. So that's that's a topic of another, another conversation, though. Yeah, okay, good good enough. Yeah, and not that this is focused on Zoom at all. I, I tend to characterize all these tools as what I currently dislike the least, 
right? Because I've used them all a lot as they're on remote teams all the time. And then at some point they all let me down, but Zoom by far has let me down the least. So that's uh, that's the segment I'm in when we're looking at a jobs be done category. I, I want to kind of just break down the actions here, right? So it sounded like, and I don't know what order you did these in, and kind of you can help us through this then. There was some segmentation going on, uh, you know, selecting the people you wanted to talk to. There were the interviews themselves and the questions that you asked. There was the synthesizing of that data. There might have been some other big pieces that I, I'm not highlighting. Can you kind of just walk us through, kind of, you know, the first thing that you do and take it from there? Absolutely. So the first thing that you do is an audit. You have to audit every piece of information so that you're sure what sort of research you have to design. But let's go directly into the actual research, actionable stuff about how to run this research. As you said, the first thing that you have to do is define what is the person that you have to speak. When I say power users, it it really depends what the power user is for each solution. In my case, a power user isn't only someone that has the biggest retention or someone that has given most money but it's also someone that has proven engagement through product actions. So we define what the power user is by mixing both retention criteria and product engagement criteria. Then we put this criteria into our product analytics and we see what what this brings back. Sometimes if we put the bar very high, it might give us back like 20 people. So we need to broaden this criteria a little bit to have more material to, to interview and to recruit. As soon as we have a list of at least 100 to 150 people, then we need to start the recruitment. So we, we build an email, a nice email. We decide on the incentive. The best incentive in my experience is an Amazon voucher, not because there aren't better, better incentives, but because this is, the, this is the easiest one. Everybody has Amazon. Everybody wants 20 or $30. So you, you make... A very nice email, a very kind email. You say thank you for your time. You don't exchange their time with money. You just give them $20 as a thank you for their time. Be careful with that. Money is toxic. If you, if you, if you, if you tell them that you exchange their time for $20, they will say no. So you start the recruitment. You, you need a process, a recruitment process. In my case, it was email, Calendly. They, they were on my uh, calendar notification into Slack. And then I was keeping track on a spreadsheet to know how many of these people actually booked and how many of these people did I actually email. Just just a tracking email, okay? Which you can also automate. I just prefer not to. Then you jump on conversations, okay? You have to have a, a script on conversations, but also it's not really a script. It is and it's not. You know what you want to learn out of this conversation. Perhaps you have a couple of notes in case you stuck into the conversation, but then you just let the conversation flow. Perhaps this is the, the, pro, the part of the process that cannot, re, cannot be processized because it needs attitude, fast thinking, and, and I can say talent a little bit. Interviewing people isn't something that everybody can do. Otherwise, we would hire people, low-cost resources to do it. We don't. We do it themselves, uh, ourselves. So we interview people. We have a script, we, but we know what we want to learn. I can discuss this, the questions of the script if you want, but I think we, we don't have so much time. We record the conversation before... Oh, actually, I forgot. Before recording the conversation, we ask for consent, clear consent. How we do that? 
we have a nice type form or a nice Google form where they sign on the consent. We have the consent and then perhaps we refresh the consent before clicking the record button. So we have the consent, we start the conversation, we do a very good icebreaker, then we go towards the conversation, we stop, we pay them after we finish the conversation, mm-hmm. and then we have a recording. As soon as we finish with all the recordings, or at least all the segments recordings, we start the analysis. Here's how I do the analysis. Firstly, I just watch the video. I chill, I make a coffee, and I watch the video. Every time I hear something that is notable, I just keep a note on it. I have two types of notes. One is the observations, and the other one is the insights. So, things that I have observed and things that I know for sure. So, we have two things. We have, we are keeping notes on what they said that we have observed, so it needs to be investigated more, and things that are insights. You can do it in different ways. I personally prefer to watch the videos and keep notes. Why I do that? Because when I watch someone speak, I can feel the empathy. I can feel the sentiment. Mm -hmm. It's actually better than uh, transcribing the content and keeping notes on the transcription. You lose a lot of the sentiment of the person. But you can Mm -hmm. also do it with transcriptions if you want. So you do this analysis, you have all of your observations, all of your insights, and then you try to create themes with this. You cluster the feedback. You cluster all the feedback across the interviews creating themes of the most notable categories of things that were said. This, but, you know, this analysis, the clustering, is is basically done mostly for the leadership, the people that haven't done your work. Because when you watch the videos, you just know, even if you don't do the clustering. So as soon as you do the clustering, though, you prepare a nice presentation and you present it to the rest of the team to get the buy-in for more of them. Make sense? Makes sense. Yeah, very good. This is qualitative analysis that you just kind of us through. I, I want to uh, just have you describe a little bit more differences between observations and because I wasn't sure if your observations are purely based on what you saw, right, versus what you heard, while insights might be based more on what you heard, or if you think about them differently. I didn't understand this question. Can you give me an example? Yeah, so as you're watching the video, I wasn't sure when you note observations, if you're making notes of what you saw in the video, like someone sighing, someone looking away, someone looking, you know, changing their expression. If you're noting that actual observation of of body language change, or if you're thinking about observations more as, I think something might be going on here, but I'm not sure because they didn't actually say that thing. Okay. Exactly. This is the observation for me. This is something that I feel quite sure, but I don't have the proof. So. You tell me something, you express something, I can feel it, I can see it, I'm almost sure about it, but as a researcher, I cannot mark it as an insight. I can only mark it as an observation because you haven't explicitly mentioned it, okay? If I have 20 of you expressing the same observation, then it, it becomes an insight. But if it's not explicitly mentioned, I cannot use it. For example, if I'm... If I know that when we are having a video conferencing meeting, a video conference, performance of our video conference is the number one purchasing criterion for you, I know that. I know that because I've spoken to 20 more people and I know that, yes, price is important, 
Yes, features are important, but if your video conferencing solution is loading while you're speaking or you're stuck while you speak, then you will cancel. We know that. So when we are having this conversation and I push you to tell me, okay, what is your per- what, the, how, what sort of criteria did you use to purchase that? And you consider the performance an obvious thing, so you never mention it. And at some point you start getting pissed. So I won't push you more. I will move forward to the next question, but I know that it's also something that you consider. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know it when you tell me, I want to have good calls. What do you mean by that? You mean performance. You just didn't explicitly mention it. So this will be an observation. Make sense? Okay, good. It m- makes sense. Yes. Thank you for, for adding the, the more detail there to make. So I know what we're talking about and listeners know about this as well. Okay, I love what you went through. If you allow me, I just want to summarize for listeners to, to catch all this too, because there's lots of good detail there about conducting these kinds of interviews. So you first started with basically an audit information that you have and what you want to find out so that you can basically build the design for this. That led you to identifying who you're going to talk to. And identifying who you're going to talk to, you made sure you had a big enough group of people to start with. You then uh, contacted them, in this case through email, to recruit them to be part of the study. And then you set up time to actually have, have meetings with them. And in this case, I assume because of the customer, you were probably using Zoom to actually do the, the, the meetings. I very much, when we're doing this remotely, which is often the case, it's really inexpensive, fast to do this, do like the video added. The vi- video adds a lot to, to the conversations. And then you're having an icebreaker with them, make them feel at ease, have the discussion, ask the questions that you're trying to, to get to to uncover those insights, and then thank them at the end and, and give them the incentive that got them there to help you out. And then you're doing your analysis work, and the way that you did this was go back, watch a video, take notes as, as you're watching the video, and then after all that, you're clustering the themes that came out of that so now you can present that back to the leaders in charge and say, here's what we know. Good? Exactly. This is a, this okay. is a, a walkthrough of uh, the qualitative research. Of course, as, as we said, jobs to be done isn't really a recipe. It's a mindset. So mm-hmm. we could have a walkthrough of how we changed the cancellation experience, making it more job to be done. We could have a walkthrough of everything. A job to be done is just a different way of seeing and treating things that you already do. A different way of seeing marketing, different way of seeing sales. You can have jobs to be done, uh, jobs to be done in sales, jobs to be done in marketing. Everything can be jobs to be done. We just described yeah. qualitative research. Qualitative research is a is a way older thing than jobs to be done. Very good. This is great. Lots of good takeaways there for listeners. I appreciate you taking us through the example first with the company that rhymes with whom, and then with the uh, actual steps that you're engaged in. And as listeners know, we love innovation quotes. What quote did you bring for us, and what does that quote mean to you? I brought you a quote uh, that in my 33 years old, uh, I think is, uh, is the one that I needed to embrace mostly. And this is uh, my only competitor, is the person I was yesterday. And the reason behind this quote is because uh, when I was younger, I was always trying to, to, to imitate the success of others, to, to become successful in the way that we see on LinkedIn or we see on billboards or we see on magazines. And at some point, I realized that you, need, you always, always need to see your progress and not watch others. So when I realized that and I empathized with that and I embraced that, I became a happier person and I found, I found my path. 
a little bit more philosophical, not so much around innovation, but but I think you will, I, I thought you would like it. Uh, you were right, because I very much like it. The I, I think in general, us as people, maybe it's part of how we are wired as, as humankind, we have this tendency to compare ourselves with others. You know, when I was young, for some reason, Bill Gates was who I chose to compare myself with, which is kind of a, a, a reach, right? You know, but I saw him putting this company together, uh, really aspired what was going on, how technology was changing. And that was a bad, that was a mistake for me. And I think we often get ourselves into huge trouble. We can have people that are good mentors, people we look up to and respect, and they can help guide us. But the if we're going to compare ourselves to anyone your quote is, is spot on the way I think about this today is, is to my previous self. That's the only comparison that actually makes any sense to me because we all have individual things to offer and we're all unique and have our own special gifts to provide the world. So I am happy with that quote. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. For listeners, how can we find out about the work that you're doing and the resources you have available? You can visit my website where you can find quite uh, a few nice blogs and videos and uh, goodies. But if you want us to geek out about research and jobs to be done, just find me on LinkedIn, uh, connect with me, and ask me anything or teach me anything. Excellent. We're always learning and sharing with each other. This is good. The website, is that Growth Sandwich? GrowthSandwich.com. Excellent. I'll make sure that that along with your LinkedIn profile is in the show notes so, to make it easy for listeners to get to those. So very much appreciate you sharing the how you think about jobs to be done. I like this perspective that it's a mindset and the clarity of an example of how you applied that as well. So Agilus, thank you very much. Thank you, Chad. It was an honor to speak with you today. And Product Masters, just a reminder, you will find the written details of everything we discussed and that one-page action guide to help you put into action some of those key takeaways that we will certainly have pulled out for you at productmasterynow.com slash 364. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.